Hey, this episode of Bass Freaks is brought to you by MXR Bass Innovations. MXR has been a leader in guitar effects for over 45 years. MXR Bass Innovations creates bass effects pedals from the ground up, each one specifically designed for bass players by bass players. Not repurposed guitar pedals, but their overdrive, fuzz, EQ, preamp DI, octave, distortion, compressor, or chorus, these tried and true stomp boxes are designed by Dunlop's award-winning team of bassists and engineers. Go to jimdunlop.com and check out MXR Bass Innovations for your bass effects. Hello, my friends. Welcome to Dunlop Presents Bass Freaks. This is a place for all of us bass freaks to chat it up, gain a little insight and inspiration, and have some fun with some great bass players. I'm your host, and today we welcome the great Daryl Jones. All right, how are you, man? Thank you, man. Thank you for coming on here. How you doing? My pleasure. I'm I'm great, man. I'm doing, you know, uh, you know, as good as could be as can be expected, you know. Yeah. How's everything been last uh, year for you? Uh, a little bit slow, you know, in terms of, you know, having played actually, man, I was at a friend's house. I was at Phil Upchurch's house, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I realized it's the first time I've played with an other musician in a room since, uh, January. I was up in, I was in Nashville recording with, uh, with, uh, uh, Bill Evans and, um, and, uh, Robin Ford. Amazing. How'd that feel by the way? <laughs> well, both felt great, man. I mean, it's, you know, uh, believe me, man, it's, is you know, as much as I always try to be present, you know, in the music, I just feel like I'm going to be more present. You know, I'm, not, I'm taking nothing for granted. Yeah. Is that something you've learned over the last year, you think? 2020? Absolutely, man. I mean, how could you not? You know, it's like, you know, you know, having to, uh, I mean, and it's not that I haven't been playing music. I've been studying and, and doing, you know, a session here or there with, you know, putting stuff on, you know, different people's tracks. But, man, I miss being in a room with musicians. Man. I do, too. I really miss uh, audience as well. Yeah. yeah absolutely. What, uh, anything awesome that you want to mention that track-wise that you've been doing recently? Um, well, actually, there's, a, you know, there's a few things. Um, there's a documentary that's uh, that uh, the, the, the director's been working on with me for a few years. And we're coming to the end of that. So I've been working on the music for that. And um, and I've been working on some guitars, man, basses and guitars. I'm, I'm trying to start a little little company. Uh, uh, and I heard you went to school for that. I did. And, you know, not, you know I'm not going to claim to be like a luthier or anything like that. Oh, but come I, on. I did come learn. On. No, believe <laughs> me, man, when, when, I, when I got a setup issue, I take my bass to somebody who does that every day. You know what I, I mean? do, it's too, like, I'm not expecting, you know, I'm not expecting uh, Roger Sadowski to come and play a Stones gig, you know, because he doesn't do it all the time. You right. know what I mean? So I hear you. I hear that. Let the professionals handle this. So, but I learned enough to, to, <clears throat> I learned enough to to realize that I really love it, and I've never, you know, lost my childhood love of instruments. We all have that, and um, and I've always loved, you know, craftsmanship. Um, you know, a well-drawn line, design, you know, those things, how an instrument feels in your hands and how it looks and, and how it sounds and all that stuff. What inspired you to do that? Well, um, I guess it started with, um, with, with the Lakeland thing. You know, Albie Valgoshin and I, we, you know, started out 
you know, doing this bass. Well, first of all, he built me this beautiful custom-made uh, instrument, uh, beautiful fretless instrument. And uh, and after a few years, he said, you know, we were just talking and looking at how expensive uh, pre-CBS jazz basses were, pre-CBS instruments were, uh, Fender instruments were. And we just decided, man, let's see if we could put something together that would be, you know, a replacement for for something like that. If you got a you know a young young musician who can't come out of come out of pocket at the time was you know six or seven grand. It's probably more than that now. I do know that it's not, at one point you know you know you know pre CBS sixty six jazz bases were ten grand and above. So we we're just trying to come up with a product that kind of felt like that, but wasn't so expensive, you know. And so we started, you know, working on models, and he'd send me something, and I'd play it, and we went back and forth like that. And finally, we got something that we were both happy with, and then realized how difficult it is to, you know, to to uh, to sell an instrument. And so that's when we hooked up with Lakeland, and we basically licensed the Daryl Jones bass to Lakeland. Were there any special specs for your bases that you absolutely had to have? Well, I love, uh, you know, again, the, the 66 jazz bass is is kind of like my, you know, that's my, my holy grail, so to speak. You know, that's what I really love. And so I took a few things from that. Um, I love uh, I love binding, even though it's problematic for, for luthiers and stuff like that. But I just love the look and feel of that. And... Um, and, you know, uh, uh, particularly at the time, I was playing almost exclusively jazz basses. It wasn't until I started playing with the Stones that I started to branch out a little bit more. Uh, into uh, the-, the, the Rolling Stones. <laughs> Just a little <laughs> band by the name of the Rolling Stones. <laughs> yeah, but I started branching out into the P-bass thing and, you know, and even some other instruments, chambered instruments. Uh, you know, it came from, you know, the jazz bass, I guess, you know, more than anything. Are they out yet? Are your bases out for sale? I have sold some. We're, you know, we're just, you know, we're gearing up to to really, you know, begin doing some publicity and, you know, start putting some pictures out on social media and, uh, and you know, taking, you know, a larger number of orders. But I've, I've, I've sold a few, you know, to a few people, you know. That's great, um, man. You're doing something that you love and, uh, and hopefully making a little bit of cash at the same time. Yeah, let's hope so. Yeah. And, you know, man... To be honest with you, the, the thing that the the biggest thing that pushes me um, further and further is, you know, I built an instrument for a guy and he was having some difficulty in his life. And when he got the bass, he said he opened up the case and he felt like he said, man, he just looked at the instrument and he felt like, man, this is going to bring me back. And I got a charge out of that in a way that, you know, it's a little bit different than getting a compliment or getting praise for for playing this is like something that came out of my head absolutely know? something yeah. that came out of my head that i you know you know caused to be built i didn't build it myself but i caused it to be built and and uh and, and kept uh nagging people until they did it the way that i wanted it done and uh and to have that kind of thing um, bring somebody else joy or, you know, make them feel, you know, like, like it's going to get them playing again, or it's, or it's just an exciting instrument to them is, is really, a, that's a great feeling for me. You're inspiring people in many ways. Uh, I think that's awesome. Certainly. Now, how do you go from playing with a jazz giant like Miles? Uh, how long did you do that for with Miles? 
I played with Miles for four years over a five-year period. There was that year in between where I went and played with Sting. Okay. And uh, and then I got really, really lucky and was asked to come back and play with Miles, which doesn't happen very often, I think. That's Me, me and Mike Stern and John Coltrane are the only ones. I mean, <laughs> holy grail of, uh, yeah. <laughs> I can't even, I'm speechless. But you go to Sting and then Madonna and then you spend... 28 years with the Rolling Stones. I mean, pretty nearly. Yeah. My head's going to explode. These mm. gigs are the biggest of the big, man. Mm. I'm raising my hands and raising the roof to you because what kind of skill set do you have to have to to do that and then stay with the gigs? Well, I think basically, man, it's it's, you know, um I grew up in a household where there were, you know, a lot of different kinds of music being played. You know, on the radio, my dad was listening to Early Miles and Oscar Peterson, Count Basie. My mom was listening to Sly Stone and Curtis Mayfield and James Brown, lots of James Brown. And uh, and so it just, it never occurred to me that to play with, you know, these dis- disparate, you know, um, in these disparate genres, was anything special. I just kind of always wanted to be able to cover that base a little bit and be able to do that well a little bit. And, and, you know, and it takes some time and I'm, you know, I, I, uh, I think I'm a probably better at playing rock and roll now than I was when I joined the Stones. Uh, you know, it takes some time with anything. And I think if you, if you respect the different genres, then and your heart's in it. I think that you you will eventually, you know, learn learn how to play those things. And I think I was just lucky that I got started from from an early age. Like the first, the first twenty five or thirty songs I learned from uh, the guy who first taught me, uh, a guy named Angus Thomas, who actually played with Miles after I left for a little while. Very cool. Um, was was uh, you know Led Zeppelin, um, the Staple Singers. Um, the band War, um, uh, Jimi Hendrix, and James Brown. You know, I mean, the, you know, the, that was among the, the first songs that I learned how to play. So uh, from early on, I was kind of, you know, moving in, in, in some different directions. And then, you know, when I was able to play a little bit better, then my dad kind of introduced me to jazz and told me, man, you should really, you know, kind of try to, you know, play this music because it's going to help, you know, just, it'll just help round you out as a musician. So. Is there anything that challenges you playing wise, music wise? Yeah, man, I'm really, uh, I'm really trying to learn more about jazz harmony. Okay. Um, um, I'm just on to, you know, I think probably a lot of people right now, but everybody, a lot of guys are on to the whole Barry Harris thing right now. And he's a educator who is, he's just got a different take on, what he feels was influencing those guys when they invented that music, you know? Wow. And, uh, and so his take on it is really different. It's, you know, you know, you sit down and listen to, to, to his take on bebop and, you know, and, and how that harmony and how that, you know, melodically, um, how that music really moves. And, you know, it's just, it's, I think to myself, man, I wish someone had told me this 40 years ago, you know? because it's a slightly different take than just the chord scale thing. And, uh, and, and basically, you know, he's drawing the lines between jazz being an extension of the whole classical thing, you know, and that there are some similarities there. And, and, uh, 
And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's really heavy. It's great. It's really great. He's, you know, cool, cantankerous kind of teacher, but you, you know, he's, he really loves, it's obvious that he loves to teach and, and he really is bringing a, a different take than what I was taught when I first started studying jazz. I'm definitely going to check that out. Uh, what inspires you musically at this point in your career? Um, man, I just, you know, it's this, this music thing is just so immense and there is so much to learn and so much to know. Um, I've, you know, I've had people ask me over the years, man, uh, well, man, with your background in this or part of your background being in, in, in jazz music or some sort of, you know, electronic, you know, uh, improvisatory music, um, uh, do you, do, does it bore you to play rock and roll? And I'm like, no, man, I don't even, I don't, first of all, I'm not a person easily bored. I could, you know, sit with myself and I, and, and, you know, the thoughts that go through my head keep me interested enough to, uh, <laughs> not be bored. Um, but there's just so much to learn, man. And if you're not learning about how to play more stuff, then why not be learning about how to make fun- music function by playing less stuff, mm. you know? Good point. Or, you know, or bringing a certain kind of gravity to fewer notes. Um, and then the really great thing about that is when you move it over to, you know, when you're playing music with more notes, you, you carry that gravity over with you, you know? And wow. so it's, uh, you know, it's just, you know, like we were talking earlier, man, it's, it's, uh, um, Miles, uh, you know, I've, I've, I guess people are starting to hear me say this a lot, but Miles, you know, he said to me once, he said, Daryl, one art helps the other. And he was encouraging me to draw and to paint and to cook and to take pictures and to just do all of these things because in some way, and it's difficult to say how, but all of these things inform each other and help each other, you know, Um yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very much like my mother. I'm really very much in love with learning, you know, and uh, and so you know all of these things, man. Trying to learn, trying to learn how to play guitar a little bit, and trying to learn how to sing a little bit, and you know, and hopefully, you know, maybe one day when I'm, you know, eighty or ninety years old, I can put it all together. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're on the right track, man. Um, how are you keeping it fresh out there? I know tour gets a little monotonous, um, but you and you've been doing that particular gig for so long. Mm-hmm. How are you keeping it fresh for yourself and you know, and, and for the listeners? Yeah, one of the things that I that I realize, man, when you get when I I think it's a good idea when you start to feel you know stale. When I start to feel stale on any gig that I'm doing, let's just take the Stones for for instance. Instead of you know kind of turning away from the music and trying to, you know, do something else, I start practicing those songs. I start practicing them again in the way that I was, you know, with the kind of attention that I was giving to them when I first learned them. It's like going deeper inside, trying to figure out another way. That's one of the things that uh, that was a great lesson for Miles. Like, we'd be playing with Miles, we'd do a tour, and we'd be off for a little while, and then he'd have rehearsals he would basically take everything from you that you had figured out to play on these tunes. He says, don't play that. I don't want you to play that no more. You know, oh, and wow. he would just make you find a new way to play that song, you know? Sick. And, uh, 
And so I think that with that kind of thing in mind, you just keep um, you keep turning it over. You keep experimenting with with it. Uh, guitarist that I that I'm in a band with, uh, Jean-Paul Borelli, said something to me once. He said, you know. Uh, if you're, you know, if you're playing pentatonic stuff and you're, you're feeling like, well, I need to, you know, move move out of that, he says, you generally, he says, you might be successful at just completely dropping that and, and trying something new. He said, but I found that the more you play through it, you continue to go deeper into it. That's the way that you find something new with it, you know. And so I guess that's kind of what I do, and I find that to be a really good way to to stay fresh. So maybe never, um, never becoming complacent in in the music. Yeah, and it's difficult okay. because yeah. you know you you know you know well not so much now because we've been away from it for so long. So yeah. Well, yeah, that's a whole new perspective, right? You yeah, come you know, coming absolutely. at it fresh. But yeah, and I guess if there's any one one upside to you know to having been away from from touring and playing with musicians, it's that you know, we'll all be looking at these things with new eyes and with, with a new appreciation, man, and a new love, a deeper, you know, deeper understanding of just how lucky we are to be musicians who go out and play for people and, and, uh, and grow and, and, and learn and, uh, you know, and try to inspire and try to be inspired. So true, man. I really can't wait to hear some of the music that's going to come out of the last year or so, and and also the new energy at live shows. I be, I'm sure, man, it's, I think it's going to be incredible. I think it's going to be incredible. Yeah. Um, in your opinion, when do you think it's time to move on from a gig? Hmm, that's a good question. It's all circumstantial, but... I, you yeah. know, it's funny because I've never had those kinds of gigs. Okay, okay. <laughs> you know, it's like I've been really blessed in that, uh, you know... I probably would have gone on and played at least, you know, a while longer with everybody who I did not end up playing a while longer with. Um, okay, let's put it this way. So, yeah. yeah, so like uh, for for some young musicians out there that maybe are wondering, all right, have I stayed here too long or maybe should I well, try to move on? What do you, what do you think? You what know, would your advice be? I think that first of all, yeah, now that I think about it, one of the... the, the uh, the things that I would say is if you feel like you have something inside you that is not being expressed on, on the gig that you're on, particularly if you feel like it's your own music is trying to come out of you, I would say that's a good reason to, you know, to make a move and to step out and, and, and try to, you know, I, I will say that um, I do think there is a bit of a, there's a bit of a kind of sideman syndrome where you can get stuck in, in just playing with people and playing with people and playing with people and not so much uh, exploring, you know, the music that's inside you. So I think that I would have done that earlier, even if it doesn't necessarily mean walking away from a gig. But yeah. I think I would have just done I would I've done, done a lot more of that earlier okay. than, than I have. You know? Very cool. What is the uh, biggest difference between playing with a uh, jazz giant like Miles to a uh, pop icon like Sting or Madonna? Um, well, you know, it's interesting, man, because I'll let you in on a, you know, a secret. Uh-oh. Um, I feel like I do the same thing with all of these different people. Okay. 
And I think that it comes down to playing the song and giving the song what it needs. Yeah, I just try to play the song. I try to find what can I play to help this song be more itself. And I and the thing about that is I really dig that. I dig that. I don't feel um, cheated when I'm not able to play a bunch of stuff over, you know, a big space in the music. Yeah. Um, and, and I also, on the other hand, I also enjoy, you know, playing music that is a bit more complicated and, you know, music that's, uh, that, you know, requires a bit more, you know, facility. Um, I don't do a lot of that kind of stuff now, but, you know, like I was just saying, I've been working some with, uh, with Mike Stern. I've been working some with Robin Ford and with, uh, um, and Bill Evans, uh, Oz Noy, I've worked a little bit with. Um, and I've got a couple of, uh, you know, of, uh, bands that I co-lead, uh, me and Will Calhoun and Jean-Paul Borelli. Oh, very cool. Have a rock trio. What's the name Stone, of that? Stone Raiders. Is Stone new. Raiders. Yeah. yeah. Gotta Which check that out. Funny because people think, oh, is raiding the stone? No, it's, that's not exactly <laughs> how that name came about, though you would imagine it did. Yeah. But you know, like that's, that's a, uh, that's a situation where we really kind of f- feel like, you know, the band of gypsies thing, you know, that could be a whole direction in itself. It's almost like, like, I don't know what, maybe for lack of a better, you know, term, maybe you could call that music like the blues forward or, or because I mean, there's a lot of blues in, in, in you know, in those songs. But it's also, you know, in, in, informed by, you know, by rock and roll, and it's informed by folk in some ways, you know. And also we have, um, there's a certain kind of improvising that we do in that band where we kind of, you know, veer off a bit from the, from, the, from the song, and we just really play off of each other, and we just kind of try to stir it up a little Very bit cool. in that way. So, you know... Um, I really enjoy having a chance to explore music in that way, as well as with someone like Oz Noy, who's a you know, great writer of, of um, very, also very bluesy, but, but also, um, you, know, you know, kind of slightly more intricate, you know. I remember that it's intricate because I uh, listened to it a few months uh, before I was scheduled to play with him the first time. And I thought, okay, it's not as difficult as it seems. And I probably didn't go back to it (laughs) as soon as I should (laughs) have. Because about three or four days before the first gig, I listened to it again and thought, oh, my God, this is tough, (laughs) you know. And I ended up studying like a, you know, like a college student cramming for all of, you know, day and night, three or four days to be able to, you know, kind of come to it. So, but I love the, I love that kind of challenge, man. I, th- I think that's great. You know? Very cool. It's very cool also that you're creating situations where you can express yourself in different ways uh, across the board. Yeah. Uh, that's really important as uh, creatives. Uh, what are your gear must-haves, like amps, strings, pedals? Power. 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 <laughs> I think, you know, and again, this is just my take, man. I think, um, like, having some really high wattage, wattage, you know, whatever kind of rig you're using, I think it, it, the, beat, the bass speaks in a different way. Wow. I think, 
well, not what's interesting that you know I've got um, I've got a QSC rig. Okay. I use their um, the, the the dual twelve cabinet, um, which I think is a couple of thousand watts. That's a subwoofer, and then I use um, uh, the bigger wedges with stones, a twelve and a horn. Um, that's their K twelve. But around the house or or, um, or on gigs, I use the K eights, which is like an eight and a horn. But again, those ca- those cabinets are each, you know. Upwards of fifteen hundred watts, I think. Each one of those cabinets. Oh wow! So I noticed, and because it's clean, I noticed that people never complain about me being loud, but they do come up to me after the gig and say, "Man, I could feel the bass." And for me, that's a real big part of being a bass player. Oh yeah. That people, you know, it's almost like I remember when I was a kid and my parents would have a party. And they'd be playing music in the basement. And you could just kind of hear that that James Jamerson, you know, kind of thump going on. You know, and in addition to being able to hear what the bass is playing, there was also this under thing. And I find that when you've got wattage, you're pushing, you know, you're pushing that. You're messing with, you know, you're pushing on people's chest a little bit. (laughs) I I dig that. I I think that that's... uh, you know, I you know just you know to be you know you know uh, uh, you know just to joke about some of my uh, my uh, uh, multi-string bass comrades. You know, it's you know you see a guy he's got a you know six seven string bass and he's playing out of a like you know ninety watt bass amp. No, you're not going <laughs> to reproduce a B string out of a ninety watt bass. I mean, nobody uses ninety watt bass amp. I'm being facetious, but right. you, I'm just trying to make get the it. point that. I really do feel like, um, you know, I used to, when I started with the Stones, I, st- I was using um, uh, Meyer Sound gear. And this is before it was powered. So I was using, you know, 3,600 watts of crown power. Crazy. And uh, not long I was not, not long into rehearsal, um, Keith's tech came over to my tech and said, uh, how much power, how much louder can Daryl actually get, you know? And, we, you know, my tech's holding. Well, we're we're you know we're, we're we're pretty up there as far as you know as how far we can go. So I think we're going to need to double Daryl's rig. You know, <laughs> so oh. I went to seventy two hundred watts of power. Oh my god! And of course, it's a big stage. Yeah, but even before, I mean, I was using a, a, a smaller version of that rig when I was playing with Steps Ahead, and uh, I don't remember anybody ever complaining about the bass being too loud. In many cases, the function of of a, a, a dis, you know distortion is what people perceive as being loud. You know. Okay. And I, it feels like if you've got like some really clean power, um, particularly if you're playing you know an, an idiom of music that requires that, then for the most part, people don't really complain about you being too loud, you know? They can feel um, it. Yeah, but they can feel it, which is, yeah. which is you know. So I dig, you know, I, I mean, I use an SVT and the QSC on stage with the Stones. Um, and you're carrying know. that yourself, right? Every every show. It's yeah, on, every your, show, on your back, you're picking it I up. I lift it, I lift it, I put it on stage, I put it back in the truck at the end Cause, of the night. Because you want to keep it real, really. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> What about strings and any uh, effects? 
Um, I'm starting to get back into effects, man. Um, I'm just, you know, I kind of, I was really into that when I was young. Um, I just watched this, uh, speaking of steps ahead, I just watched that video where I'm, you know, starting out with the, you know, with the clean bass, and then I go to reverb, and then I go to flanging, and then I go to, you know, distortion. Which is, which is awesome, by the way. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I, I really dug that stuff. And then I started playing with Madonna, and this guy, Hawkeye, who was my tech at the time, I wonder where he's at now, um, he really dialed in my rig so that it was just pure clean, you know. And it was sounded so good that I kind of got away from effects. Okay. And so now in the last few years, I've kind of gone back to some stuff. I'm just just starting to mess around with a Helix unit. Oh, yeah. I just played one of those for the first time. Yeah. yeah one of my yeah, buddies had one. Just starting to, you know, to, to basically crack the crack the seal on that. And, and so I'm curious about that stuff. Uh, strings. Um, I, I use flat wounds um, probably about... 50, 60% of the time when I'm playing with the Stones. Okay. And I've actually even started messing around with that kind of stuff, playing, uh, playing, uh, you know, <clears throat> um, elect electric jazz music. Um, just to, you know, just to have a slightly different, you know, sound, to have a slightly wider palette, you know. What do you um, like about the flats? I'm just curious. Oh, uh, they're just thunky, you know. Yeah, it is. They, they, yeah. They, you know, it's like... Uh, we're going to go without the springiness, you know, for a little while, you know, because we all fell in love with the springiness of, of round wound strings. Uh, because I remember when that was kind of new, you know, I mean, it was uh, Chris Squire and, you know, and a few others that were really starting to, to get into that. And of course, uh, Anthony Jackson on money, 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 that, you know, Ooh. that real springy sound and stuff like that. So, uh, I moved over, you know, to that for many, many years. And it wasn't until I started hanging out with, you know, guys who were Charlie Drayton and Steve Jordan. And they were like, yeah, but check out the, you know, the flat wound thing. And, and then I had, a, I had a student once say to me, he was checking out, thank you for letting me be myself. You, you know, the uh -huh. Sly, Sly and the Family yeah. Stone song. And he said, why does it sound like it's got a funk box on it? And I was like, what are you talking about? And then I took a good listen and it like hit me like a shot. It's like those are flat wound strings he's playing on that uh, because it was 1969. Nobody, I think 69, 70 maybe. Not that many guys were using round wound strings at that point. So yeah, there's yeah. a certain kind of out that with that you know. So there's all there's just a different set of um, of uh, tonalities that can be explored. You know, messing around with that. Of course, there's the flat wound with the pick which is, you know, a lot of the sound of some of the Stones tune. Do you play a lot with the pick? I do play a lot with the pick with the Stones, yeah. Okay. I do, you know, Satisfaction, Start Me Up. Um, I would use a pick on um, uh, Sympathy for the Devil. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, you know. Um, there, yeah, you know, the stuff that, that, that was happening, you know, late 60s, early 70s, that stuff, it's a pick sound, you know? Yeah. And, uh and and so yeah, I, I like that. And also, you know, I'm I'm a huge Anthony Jackson fan. So yes, you know, and that's a pick in a different, slightly different idiom. You know, so but yeah, I dig that. Um, other gear, um, I do like the you know I do also like the tube sound. Um, and so I, I've been using you know Ampeg SVTs. I've got a beautiful uh, B15. <laughs> Mine is white though. <laughs> 
Uh oh, <laughs> let me see that thing. Come on. <laughs> I wish I could get it from up under the thing like that. I'm, but you know, they've been so nice to me, man. Uh, the guys over at uh, Ampeg. I've got a white SVT. I've got a white SVT with eight eights instead of eight tens. Yeah. Wow. They, you know, yeah. I I, uh, I went into a club once with that with that 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 uh, with that bass rig and the uh, the hostess who was really very attractive. You know, when I rolled my bass rig in and pulled the covers off, she like kind of she went, "Oh, I love your bass rig," and I thought to myself, "I'm taking this every time I go out." <laughs> <laughs> if a chick digs my bass rig, I'm playing through the right bass rig. You know? <laughs> or at least the look is right. I call know? this rig the chick magnet. That's right, man. That is so, yeah. Awesome. So I, they they've been really nice to me and. They're, they're, you know, and, and, you know, doing a couple of special things for me with those. Um, and yeah, no, and, and even, you know, <clears throat> pickups and stuff like that. I'm uh, checking out, um, I like Lindy Freeland stuff. Okay. I'm not familiar. Guys I'm, I'm actually starting to experiment with um, as well. Um, this bass has... Uh, I can never, I'm going to pronounce his name correctly. Ulyate. Ooh, is that your bass? Is that yeah, that's, yeah, this is a Jones bass. This is okay. a, a, this is my like P bass type instrument. Okay. Let's, um, since, since uh, no one will be able to see it, like I am admiring the beauty in it right now. Can you uh, describe it a little bit? Well, it's, it's, it's got, you know, it's got a, you know, a P bass style pickup, you know, and it's, uh, um, you know, bound neck, uh, it's passive. Um, um, this one's again, you know, it's got the, you know, like the P bass neck feel a little bit, you know, a little bit, uh, more girth than a jazz neck. And that's the Chatham instrument. I grew up in a neighborhood in Chicago called West Chatham. So the, you know, and again, man, you know, I don't think anybody, we're not fooling anybody um leo fender got so much right that, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah you know we're we're just trying to you know we're trying to dress up you know putting you know lipstick on his pig it's i guess prefer you know? preferences and and you know, know a spin and, and yeah and then there's a you know there's a gresham which is like the jazz bass type model um it's got a little bit you know finer neck um the the, the two single coil pickups and again those are passive instruments unless course you know the customer is always right or i should say the client is always <laughs> right uh uh but uh yeah so we were interested in doing interesting things for people who want them but you know my, my basic thing I, I i got i got turned on to the passive thing man um when i started playing with the stones there's something about it that reads um in particularly in, in big venues you know the mm. passive thing that reads in a way and I've, I've seen guys get, you know, incredible sounds with, you know, active electronics in uh, in big in big uh, in stadiums and, and big arenas as well. But there's there's a bark that's that's there with passive instruments that I that I really dig. What do you in your experience, what do you think just works for playing in huge stadiums and something that just works every single time? Because like you were just saying, I mean, it it is a whole different animal being able to from from the notes that you play jumbled together fast mm. stuff to slow stuff to it, it's got to be able to um uh cut through out front right yeah. so and that's what i mean about that bark 
I mean, it's like, um, you know, and again, you know, the, you know, I'm not 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 uh, running down, you know, um, uh, uh, active electronics because I've got two um, Sadowski bases that every the the first base I bought from Roger Sadowski. Every time I plugged it in, whether it was in a live room studio, the engineer would come over the talk back and say, "Great bass sound," you know. And I still tell you know when I see Rogers to still today, I tell him, "Man, that bass." But oh, there's a problem with your bass. No, it's on your end. Uh, oh, yes, yes, yes. You're right. It was on my end. <laughs> that bass, you know, those basses sound great, you know, anywhere you put them. But um, I just noticed going from that bass to my 66 jazz bass one night with uh, with the Stones and the guy who taught me how to play being in the audience. And he said, hey, man, Sadowski sounded great, but there was something about mm. that 66 that just read in, you know, a soldier field in Chicago, which is like, that's my backyard. So, okay. um, awesome. You know, it, there, there's something to it, you know, you know, but I think both are both are valid. But for 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 the for the Stones music, I think passive instruments kind of seem to work better somehow for me. Very cool, man. So with with that advice that Miles gave you, was there anybody else um, artist wise or maybe MD wise that you worked with that really gave you some poignant advice? Um that that has has stuck with you throughout your career. No, you know, it's, I, you know, it's interesting, man, because I've learned quite a lot from. Uh, there's so many, man. I just, I, I, and one of the reasons that, uh, and one of the things I was, we were talking about the whole COVID thing and and the pandemic and not being able to like hang out and play with musicians. It's not just playing that I miss. I love musicians, man. Musicians are, they think different than other people. To me, you know? <laughs> for sure, man. They're, 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 you know, they're all such, such independent thinkers. You know, notice you go on the road with, with, you know, three or four guys. If you're on the road for three or four weeks, you guys have a different language that you speak by the end of those three or four weeks. Literally, something that you've all improvised and you've taken little pieces from this and taken little pieces from that, and you're literally speaking this other language. Well, that's true in music too, you know, and I think it even helps the music that we have that kind of creative, you know, we, everything we do is creative. You know, I watched, you know, Keith Richards write a, a fax to his daughter when she was very young and he was, he displayed uh, as much artistic impulse doing that as he does every night when I play with him on stage, you know, that's awesome. It's kind of as, as, as above, so below, you know, uh. You know, it's, you know, back to being present and in the moment and aware of what's going on and just letting it be. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, what about drummers? Who are your favorite drummers? Oh, man, I've been lucky. <laughs> I've been so lucky. I've played with, you know, some of the great, I mean, like everybody who I just mentioned, Charlie Watts, Charlie Drayton, Steve Jordan, Omar Hakeem, Miss Chambers, uh, Dave Weckl, uh, um, um, oh, I've been playing with uh, with Keith Carlock. I love playing with Keith Carlock. Um, um, there's so many guys, man. Somebody's going to be pissed because I didn't mention. Them, you know? <laughs> um, what you're saying so is many. there's no shortage of badass drummers that you oh, work no, with. No, and they keep coming. What do you yeah, what? So, but what is your favorite thing about a good drummer? What what makes 
a good drummer good? The way they feel. The way it feels to play with them. You know, it's uh, it's hard to talk about. It's hard to put your finger on. But you know it within moments of yeah. playing with guys. I agree. I just know it within moments. I played with, I did an audition for uh did an audition for uh, Johnny Jackson, uh, where I played with Sonny Emery. Okay. I had never played with him before in my life. I knew him, you know, you know, you know, we were not friends, but just, you know, acquaintances. I'd run into him a few places. We played, you know, we played for 20, 15 minutes in that audition. And uh, at one point we were playing What Have You Done For Me Lately? I love that song, by the way. That's a great, it's, a fun, it's one of the funkiest things, you know. Yeah. And she said, well, you guys just go ahead and play. And I turned around and looked at him. And when we looked at each other, if it was tight before then, it just got even more tight. And it's just <laughs> like, it's like we we speak that we, we communicate in that language. We were speaking the same language, you know. And, uh, and there's a lot of people who I haven't played with, but I can listen to them and know, you know. Um, and then there's a guy who's guys who people feel like, oh, no, but he doesn't really have that. And I think when, I say, when he plays with me, the, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So awesome. Yeah. So you're you're obviously you've been touring for a very long time. Road mm. dog and a half. Mm. <laughs> Fortunately. Yeah. And yeah. hopefully soon we'll all get back out there. Yeah. Let's let's talk about your typical day on, on tour. And I know it's changed quite a bit now yeah. as when you first started, but talk about your typical day right now on tour. Uh well on tour, um, <laughs> it's funny, man. I, I, I hate to sound, you know. No, I'm. Hey, sound, but generally, man, the first thing I do is I, I get up, I you know maybe work out a little bit, and uh, and find a good health food store. Okay. You know, hey. and find some good clean food, and and uh, and try to eat well, and uh, work on whatever other thing that I'm kind of working on. Generally, I take a little. You know, it's easy to take a studio on tour now, you know, a little, yeah. not even studio, but just like a recording rig and computer and, you know, you know, a couple of little speakers and different things like that. And so I'm working on my own music or, you know, maybe a little music for a film or, you know, you know, been doing a little bit more of that. And then, um, you know, and then, you know, on to sound check, where kind of it's more of exactly the same, you know, find some good food to eat. Um, you know, sit and play a little bit, you know, do the other thing that I, like I was saying, I really love hang out with musicians and, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and then, you know, have a great time playing. You know. What's keeping you sane out there? Hmm. I don't know that that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's helping you yeah. to keep sane? You know, just, the, you know, the usual things, man. Just, you know, trying to, uh, music, man. Music keeps me sane. You know, music and, 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 you know, I, you know, I find joy in things, uh, you know, profound and also very small. You know, I, 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 I can get, you know, I can get kind of lost looking at, uh, you know, looking at puppies and stuff. And, <laughs> There's nothing you know, wrong with that. You know, it's just, you know, so it could be something as simple as that or, or, 
or or or, uh, or checking out uh, um, a lecture by uh, you know by a, by a, a spiritual leader or something like that. You know, it's, it's not um, taking things for granted, and and um, I you know I I really do enjoy um, sunrises and sunsets. Mm-hmm. You know, especially on tour. You know, you you're out there and you so busy doing things i just yeah. i really found especially in the last i don't know five years or so that yeah i really need to take a minute and just appreciate my surroundings and the that's little things great, yeah that's a great idea because you know it's funny because a lot of times you're up late at night so yep. you miss the sunrise and you're indoors by the time the sun goes down so you miss that but no that's a great idea man i'm gonna take i'm gonna take a look from that that's really really great do you have a gig highlight Where's that moment where you were just like, hell yes, I've made it? Favorite gig? Oh, hell yes, I made it? Yeah, or that moment where you're like, I can't believe I'm doing this right now. Well, there was, you know, there. I know you have many. I have more than one, yeah, but I, I guess the, you know, playing with Miles, man, you know, being on stage and having Miles, you know, come, he used to come and stand really close to me, you know? And uh, I think I would pass out, actually. It's deep because you're too busy trying to like, you know, and he would do this thing where he would come over and he would play almost like it's funny because it was almost like boxing a little bit. Like he would jab like and I go and we would almost be like sparring a little bit standing like right next to me. And then you like look at him and you realize that's Miles Davis. <laughs> you know, it's like it's crazy, man. You know, and then you know, and 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 you know, I was playing with. Uh, we were in Cuba with the Stones. Okay. And uh, we played that gig in, in Havana, and um, I was looking down the line at everybody, you know, and and it kind of just hit me, man. It kind of welled up inside me, like really how wonderful it is to be playing with these guys, you know. Um, they all are still so much in love with what they're doing. And... Uh, it's beautiful. And they have a way of, you know, they have a way, man. They have a way, man. That's, That's probably nobody else, yeah, nobody why else. they're still doing it. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. that was a, a moment that I remember, you know. And it's funny because then and I've never looked back at the gig and I was talking to... A, Tony Garnier. In fact, he called me. Tony Garnier is uh, Bob Dylan's bass player, or he plays bass with Bob Dylan. Okay. Uh, and he he called me one day and he says, "Hey man, have you checked out the Havana gig? Have you checked out that you know?" And I was like, "No, no, no." He says, "Hey man, you know I've we've played and you know we played with you guys like probably a dozen times over the years." He says, "Something's happening on that gig, man. You should check that out." You know. And I it brought me back to to the feeling to this feeling that I had that night of really feeling like. Man, this is special. This is, this is. I'm, 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 I'm really happy that I, that I'm here in this moment playing with these guys. You know, moments, man, and gratitude. I am grateful to you uh, for just being great human being. What advice would you give to an aspiring bassist? Uh, learn as much as you can about different genres of music. Do um, uh, you know having an, uh, a a looking down your nose at any kind of music 
I think is the surest way to prevent yourself from playing that kind of music mm. authentically. You know, um, and you don't necessarily have to love it, you know, but you should, you know, figure out, okay, well, why why does that guy get called to play all of the country gigs, and what is he? What is about the length of, you know, that he's holding those notes that is getting him, that makes him the man in that area, you know? And uh, from all the way from that to, you know, you know, why was, you know, what 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 is it about Jocko? What, you know, uh, you know, and for me, when I, th- when I, when I think about Jocko, um, just to speak about him specifically, um, he is not a, He's not in the same sense as <clears throat> I would say even I am. He's not a bass player. He's a musician yeah. that played bass. You know? <laughs> yeah. You can kind of hear, you know, even when he, you know, when he would play those seven, you know, seventh and the third of you know, that kind of stuff. You could hear that he was thinking about, oh, that's a horn line, you know? Yes. Or when he was playing some, you know, when he left the bass line to play some lyrical idea, you could tell he was thinking about, oh, that's like a string line, you know? And so I think uh, educating yourself about the reasons why people, you know, do the things that they do or what's behind the, you know, the reasons why people do the things that they do. I think that that provides a really incredible education into music on all levels. And I would also say, um, mess around, you know, mess around with other instruments. You know, I would definitely, you know, say to, to, to any up-and-coming musician, bass player or otherwise, is to write music. You know, write music. Start messing around with lyrics. You know, you know, get a get a find a poet that you like. Listen, you know, see how he puts words together. You know, uh, just you know, I I wouldn't I, I would be if I if I could do it again, I would be less segregated about my thinking in music. You know, I would not just play the bass. I think I would probably have picked up a guitar a lot sooner i would have started singing a lot sooner great 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 advice man um where can people find you are you on social media i am on social media um both on uh, facebook and um instagram daryl jones bassist um any last words any any more advice for for musicians out there people out there no man, just you know, let's just get to it, man. I yeah, wait to get, you know, it's like um, it's just gonna be so sweet. Man. You know? Yes, sir. It's gonna be so sweet, and thank you so much, man, for your graciousness. Oh and man, great, great questions, man. I appreciate you very much. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Stay healthy and kind. Spread love, good vibes, and inspiration. And remember, you got this. Follow your path and just play. I'm Josh Paul. I hope to see you out there sometime soon. And thank you so much to Dunlop for making this show possible. And be sure to check out Bass Freaks wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks again to Daryl Jones. Cheers. Bass Freaks.